Hey, it's episode 12 of the TV Junk Podcast, and this is Andor. My name is Greg. Thanks for checking out the show. You can follow us on Twitter, TV Junk Podcast, and you can send us an email, tvjunkpodcast at gmail.com. Joining the show today, we've got uh, a huge panel uh, of guests to talk about this new Disney Plus Star Wars series. Uh, first, we've got uh, someone uh, I know who's a huge Star Wars fan, and I know their son is a huge Star Wars fan and uh who was rocking a pretty badass cad bane costume at disney world this year uh nuno how's it going good greg happy life day everyone (laughs) (laughs) is today actually life day apparently people celebrate it in november oh like i mean yeah maybe it coincides with when it originally aired on television i don't Hmm. know so i missed life day you did. Yep. And we got Frank on the show. Frank, how's it going? Hello. I'm doing okay. How about you? Great. We got Sean. You're muted. John. <laughs> I am here and now I'm unmuted. <laughs> hey, it's it's uh it's 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 Sean's first podcast, guys. Come on. He's never done one before. He's not, he's not have used to, to the, the mics. button, but today I had to use it. No. <laughs> IT guy himself. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got the man with the soundboard. Jay, how's it going, buddy? You know, I'm doing pretty good, Greg. Thanks <laughs> for having me on the show. Good. And I'm excited to uh, talk about Andor. I appreciate you Although, unmuting like, for it. I, I watched uh, it a little while back. So as Sean had mentioned, I will also maybe need some refreshers on the first three episodes, but... Otherwise, I'm fucking primed and ready to go, dude. All right. Um, so this is uh, uh, usually get a big group of people to talk about the uh, the Disney Plus Star Wars shows, and we've we did uh, Obi Wan earlier, and I, I'm pretty sure I was a part of Book of Boba Fett and uh, and one of the Mandalorian seasons. Uh, so this is kind of a it's kind of a, a film junk tradition to to do a Star Wars show with a big group. So we're going to talk about uh, Andor. It was um, created by Tony Gilroy, stars Diego Luna, Kyle Soler, uh, Adria Andorra, Fiona Shaw, Chester drinking his water, and uh, Stellan Starsguard, Denise Gao, Genevieve O'Reilly, a whole mess load of characters. And so the show is about uh, uh, Cassian Andor, who's played by Diego Luna. He was uh, one of the main hero rebels in uh, in Rogue One which came out uh, quite a few years back. And so this series, uh, as we learn right when it starts, it takes place uh, 5 BBY, which is the before the Battle of Yavin, which is uh, the battle that, that, that's in a, a New Hope. So this is five years before we're introduced to Luke and Leia and Han and Chewbacca and all that. And so uh, the show kind of starts off with uh, uh, Andor on another planet, and he's uh, kind of in like a, what, what looks not quite a, a strip club, but it looks like a, a, a gentleman's club where people go to meet uh, some alien ladies for a good time. And uh, it appears he's looking for his sister. And um, 
at that point is the last time in this entire series that he looks for his sister, which I thought was really strange, but it was kind of an interesting way to start the show because they kind of completely dropped that plot line other than a few flashback scenes where uh, from his home planet. But uh, uh, the trouble with uh, Cassinander starts when he, he's questioned by a couple of guards and uh, in self-defense uh, kills one of them then murders the second one. And this kind of begins the whole series of Cassian and or on the run uh, from at first some security team and then the empire. And then uh, we kind of go through the show. So I figured the best thing we can do is maybe uh, split the talk up in between two parts uh, with like the first half uh, focusing uh, before and or goes to jail and then the second half uh beyond that i think that might uh give us a kind of a couple of small groups of things to talk about on the show but uh let's get uh uh some thoughts overall on the show and we'll start with uh nuno sure um i thought it was one of the better looking possibly best looking disney plus star wars series uh, i think that there's a lot of things about it i liked but overall I think I was disappointed because it was, I think there was too many characters, too many storylines, too many episodes. And it took itself really seriously, which I think maybe took the fun out of it. I found myself uh, falling asleep or as Dax coined, I was vadering quite a bit. And my son would always have to. Vadering debuted. During Rogue, during Rogue One, one. Yeah. I, I was falling asleep during Rogue One <laughs> and uh, making right. breathing sounds that resembled Darth Vader. I've, I've never <laughs> fallen asleep watching Star Wars stuff before. This was a first, and it happened multiple times. I don't know if it's just, yeah, something about the pacing just didn't work for me. I really wanted to like it, and after a while, I just kind of, you know, was hoping that it would pick up the pace of it. Um, Frank, let's go to you. What, what were your overall thoughts? I don't know. You might want to go to someone else because I thought I was going to be the lone uh, antagonist again, and I am right in line with Nuno. Uh, <laughs> almost, almost every thought I have is the same as Nuno's. Too many characters. Uh, not that there are two highlight episodes. As I was following or keeping up with the show, there were two episodes that people were saying were phenomenal. I agree there are moments in both of those episodes that are excellent, but uh, overall, like the characters are so boring. They're so one dimensional. The, the, the good characters are serious, uh, very focused in their mission and they have no uh, conflicts or decisions or in, like interesting aspects to what they do and are very serious the entire time and very forgettable. Uh, so I was like, what are people loving about this show? Cause I don't get it. It, it really, I said the same thing about rogue one when I watched it recently. Um, it's looks amazing. All the star Wars production elements are fantastic. And there are several of those in Andor that I liked, but this feels like taking rogue one and stretching it out over nine hours, which I'm really not interested in. Uh, and uh, yeah, I th- I thought it was okay at best. Sean, what about you? Well, I was a big fan of Andor, 
it started off slow. I agree. First three episodes took a little while. I, I fell asleep during the first one, as Nuno hinted at there. I mean, it's it's slow across the board. But I think for me, once the you know they started getting into the heist and everything, I was hooked, and it kind of became something where I was um, looking forward to it every week. Like as soon as the new episode dropped, I was watching it, which I. F- doesn't usually happen to me with a lot of the Disney Plus shows. I'm always like, oh, yeah, there's like three episodes I haven't watched of this show. But I was really into it. And, uh, you know, it, it is the pacing is weird. There's like episodes end without a cliffhanger. They just kind of end like in the middle of nowhere, which is strange. Uh, but I kind of just really like the vibe of it. I, I found that it got me um, like I, I, the Empire felt um threatening again you know i feel like recent star wars stuff they they don't have that same kind of edge to them and and with all the torture stuff that was going on in this series i just felt like okay this is bringing us back to the the idea of like ground level average people living in this uh universe and they're getting you know crushed by the empire so i i was really into it jay what about you I I maybe am somewhere in the middle here. I, I think I was a little bit maybe bored, not bored, but the first three episodes, I wasn't quite sure where things were going. I'm not like, I didn't have any stock in Andor as a character going into this. And um, I was really kind of interested in it based on, the uh tony gilroy connection and but you know once it started to pick up i think mainly the heist episode is you know one of the strongest the jail stuff is great once once the ball started rolling i was really enjoying it so um, everybody kind of mentioned how it it, uh, it did start off uh, slow. Um, now, the first three episodes were all written by Tony Gilroy and all directed by uh, Toby Haynes. And so kind of the main plot of those first three episodes, Cassian kills those two guards and then on this planet called Morlana One. And so the which is chief- brutal. I mean, he, yes. you have your main hero character killing people in cold blood and I mean, I thought it, I was shocked mainly, I guess, because it's a Disney property uh, when there was the scene after he kills them that he masturbates over the corpse of the one guy and <laughs> ejaculates onto his bare chest. <laughs> well, that, 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 was a, that was a throwback to Andor's first appearance in, uh, in Rogue One. He kills, right, right. He, kill, he kills someone that he actually knows and then also finishes off on him. Just like you yeah, mentioned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that it was weird now because he didn't even know these people. Yeah. Is that is that usually the the key to the to the kink of being able to ejaculate onto someone if as long as you know them first? I mean, defiling any corpse, uh, I would say, if you know the person before they passed, it's always <laughs> more personal and uh, I guess less weird, but. You know, that's yeah. that's Star Wars for you, right? That's I'm true. Come. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this this uh 
chief inspector of security is this kind of sniveling guy named Cyril Karn, and he kind of takes it upon himself to try to solve these murders when um, everybody else just kind of wants to sweep it under the rug. And uh, the first three episodes are basically them tracking down Cassian Andor and and uh, to the planet that he's on. And, uh, and then uh, you kind of think that this is going to be probably the main plot line of, of him kind of evading this. And then you're thinking, well, this is 12 episodes. So, you know, how is this going to go? But then, um, you know, it, it does shift into, uh, a completely different set of, uh, of, a, of a storyline in the following three episodes, which are all written by Dan Gilroy, which I'm assuming is related to Tony Gilroy brother son brother i believe brother um because then uh, then it kind of separates for, away from uh these the security guard murders and then uh um to and or trying to hook up with this guy who's stealing items uh from the empire for for the rebellion and and then this this then these kind of two plots kind of um circumvent each other and and um I agree that there are a lot of characters that are that are going around in these these two separate um storylines. But what did you guys think of uh uh the character of uh Cyril uh Karn, who's kind of the 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 main antagonist at the at the beginning of the series. He's played by um by Kyle Soler. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else, but uh, what did you think about the this character? I thought he was a dud and just a counter Sean's point about the empire feeling evil again. I thought, I guess if the show is going to be rooted in re- reality, I think it is going for like a grounded approach. Uh, like Sean said, the empire, like they aren't very interesting and there's no presence like Darth Vader. They all feel like surrounding characters to a Darth Vader. The, that Karn character is a, is a dud big time. Uh, the other main evil character is just like a pout basically is why they're evil. It, it, it's very uh, lazy writing. Um, I, I don't think there's much going on with either of those. It all, both of those characters feel like they're, they're, they're there for a second season. So much of the show feels like second season stuff. And I think a lot of people are comparing the show to game of Thrones and I see those comparisons but this is like season seven Game of Thrones. When all the good writers left, they didn't have good books to base it on. <laughs> Everything that's good about Game of Thrones is in the first two seasons. And uh, <laughs> the reason why you 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 have these weight to these characters by the end of that show, even though the writing is terrible, is because the writing was so good in the first two seasons. And I think the writing in this show is boring and like goes nowhere. It's a, it stinks. The writing. I'm, I'm gonna fo- I'm gonna follow Frank by saying uh, I think Cyril Karn is personally the worst character in Star Wars. Whoa! He, yeah, like sorry, worse like, than like, Chewie's siblings and cousins and uncle and <laughs> one one hundred percent. He oh uh, by the way, uh, Greg, when I told you to look into the stinky VR sex. It was actually what? I missed. Uh, <laughs> what <laughs> so, what um, was this? On the last episode, when I Star we, Wars we, holiday special, yeah, we we're talking about the Star Wars holiday special and how oh, right, Chewba- right. and and how Chewie's dad has <laughs> has, has virtual sex, right? It, his name's not Stinky; it's Itchy. So, oh, okay, 
You're going to want to Google itchy VR sex. <laughs> Got it. Okay. All right. What, what about Lumpy? Which one's Lumpy? Lumpy is one of the kids, I think. Okay. Like Chewbacca's son. What happened? What happened to Jay? Yeah, I was. I think he spilled the drink. There's a lumpy okay. soundboard cue that needs to be played. Right <laughs> yeah, I think Jay spilled the drink. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> he was really he was reacting to my hot takes on the show. <laughs> no, I, I no, I totally agree with you. I Cyril Karn was probably the one thing I hated the most. I think he was unnecessary. I didn't feel a presence from him whatsoever. Um, I preferred. Uh, the the actual woman from the uh ISB like the Imperial Security Bureau oh the uh, the, the powder is that uh, who yeah, Frank yes. was talking about the pout yeah well, we don't really know her name either it's it's clear none of us really feel these characters are well established in any way I have Dedra a second, Miro I I have a second screen here and there's literally a cast of like thirty people with all their pictures I yeah. I, I didn't want to use IMDb because it's it was too small to make it out. Um, I'm just using the Google profile for Andor. It's insane how many characters are here. And Cyril Karn is definitely, in my mind, he's the first one that could have been axed. Like, yeah, well, I, I agree. And I mean, the character names, I barely remember a single character name except Bix, because that's kind of a short, easy yeah. name to remember. I, I barely this, remember. This whole, th- this whole thing that remembering character names is some sort of reflection of the quality of a show yes. or a movie, I think we can let go of. There have been so many times where all of us have forgotten the names of people, of characters in films that we love. I don't think it's a reflection of anything. No, I just watched, I forget your watched names. 10 episodes in the last day. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd remember someone. Was you just said you remember Bix. Bix, because, yeah, it's easy to remember. Good name. And or. Well, I will say, uh, I I actually agree. I don't think Cyril is, like, a great character. I, I like uh, Miro a lot Who more. Who the fuck is Cyril? But he, he's kind of pathetic, though. That's, his, that's the point of his character, right? Like, he kind of becomes the fall guy and, like, you know, for, for letting him get away and then um you know he slowly gets built back up again because she kind of takes an interest in him and and what information he has to offer so i i like all that stuff like i found found it interesting like these people aren't really part of the empire right they're like contract workers like it's almost like the old kevin smith thing like they're showing how the empire is like hiring out or you know like um outsourcing their security work on other planets and uh and again like i think it's interesting because these guys are evil but they just look at it as doing their job they're just trying to do a good job because they want to get paid they want to work their way up the corporate ladder like that i find interesting i i guess i could see why they want to get paid they want to get paid, they want to get laid, and they want to get in on that galactic trade. <laughs> I don't disagree that there's an interesting line of thought there, Sean, but it's not fun to watch. It's boring. Well, I think the question is, is it Star Wars? And I think that that's a big divide with this show. Like, I've definitely talked to, like, a lot of people. People are very split on this show. Like, some people love it, and some people are just like, I cannot get into this show. And they're huge Star Wars fans that can't get into the show. And I just think... It's going to places that Star Wars kind of hasn't before. 
to me, it's kind of new. I like that, but like, you know, somebody like Dax didn't even watch it. And, you know, I, I kind of see why there's no lightsabers. It's fucking hard for Jedi. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But there is, I think, a clear distinction to make here at some level where Sean, you are into espionage, spy stuff, where that is not my thing. And this show clearly leans in that direction. So it's almost like a genre preference kind of. Like if yeah. you like the show and I thought like what Greg was establishing that storyline of following the murder, I thought that was going to be the plot. The whole, I was like, Oh, that's a cool idea. This like chase slash like one side of the law. I thought it was almost going to be a star Wars crime show. And then it gets away. I thought that was a great idea. And then it gets away from that really quickly. Go, go yeah, into this. We, uh, I, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Nuno. I also really enjoy espionage. Uh, films and TV shows, and I was waiting for those elements to surface in this, and I really didn't get any of that. Um, there's really half the time you don't know whose side people are on, not in a good way, not like in a multi layer. That's, that's a kind spy of like, movie right there, man. <laughs> I know, you know what? I I immediately regretted saying that, but nothing about this felt espionage. I kind of disagree. Where the only people whose side i don't know they're on is the mon mothma that small side plot or like c plot or maybe b like that's where there's some playing sides other than that i know who everyone is they never waver i know what side they're on and the only character who has an arc that is interesting is andy circus's character but that's in the second half in the first half i i i can barely remember anything about it other than establish it's a lot of establishing I, I like really plot. It's just plot, yeah. plot, plot. I liked Stellan Skarsgård. I thought I he agree. was probably the only character who was kind of fun. And, and it's because there's a transformation element. That's that's just a cool idea with like the the wig and playing two different. I, I don't know if the wig makes all that much sense in reality. Like he looks like he has gray hair and blonde hair, and people aren't going to know he's a different person. I don't get the wig. Frank, do you uh, do you remember Stellan Skarsgård's character's name? I do not. Pretty character. <laughs> Val, Val is the only character name I, I remember. So <laughs> I, th- I thought it was Bix. Bix and Val. I remember Bix and Val. Sean, <laughs> so you touched on something that I, or, or a second ago that I thought um, would be an interesting Star Wars show um, about like a, a low-level security officer climbing the corporate ladder of the Empire <laughs> yeah. and his rise to the top. Yeah, why? Hey, man, they kind of did that with Star Trek with the animated series they put out recently, Lower Decks, where it's like kind of about the uh, the characters who are lower ranked and nobody cares about. So uh, it could work too. But burn all these companies down. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's talk about uh, um, Stellan Starsgard's uh, role of uh, Luthen uh, Rail. I believe that it was his name, Luthen, anyway. And uh, um, he's kind of uh, uh, what the uh, the Empire refers to as the the Axis. He's like the the person that is everything is kind of revolving around. And and um, so once they move away from tracking Cassian Andor as the guy that murdered a couple of security officers, he's now um, thought of as someone that has been. Um, uh, behind a bunch of robberies of, of various um, 
uh, places that the empire is occupying and stealing items um, on behalf of uh, Luthen, or maybe they think that Cassian is the one that's in the middle. But so his character is kind of getting stuff for the rebel Alliance. He's kind of like one of the people, um, I guess, kind of behind the, the origins of the rebel Alliance, but he's, he doesn't really have a lot of the values of the Rebel Alliance characters that we kind of meet throughout the Star Wars films, like Luke and Leia and and all those characters. So he's kind of uh, he's a little bit ruthless in in what he needs to do. So let's uh, I think we can talk about this guy a little bit because he was kind of a big part of the series. And um, uh, Frank, so you you kind of liked the, this character. So what what did you like about him? Well, I like I said the transformation idea of. Uh, I like the cover as a an antiqu uh, an antiquities or gifts or rarities dealer, uh, and that costuming and when he puts on the rings and all that stuff like those moments uh, like felt interesting to me. And him, he seems to be the most uh, like have at least some duality as to like do the ends justify the means and making decisions and uh, like maybe not doing exactly exactly what you think they're going to do and having tension around his character at times in the show where everyone else is just, they are who they are constantly. And uh, in general, like I don't remember when I think of like star Wars, it's condensing ideas down to like almost one liners and simple things, which I'm not saying every star Wars show has to do that, but the, I don't remember any big moments for these characters. They don't have arcs. This was kind of like Obi-Wan as well, where I think it was, was it Tala, the character where we're like, that character is, um, am I getting the name right for that character? Don't remember. Uh, <laughs> with the thermal detonator, like that, that character had an arc that they were not, in the right, show yes. much, but they, it was, it was like, I remember that where there's so much going on with these characters. Other, I'm Mon Mothma. I know who that character is. So I already have some weight to it, but everyone else, like if it feels like a show that they're already planning on having seven seasons for rather than making one really good season and then deciding uh, where it's going to go. Apparently I heard that they only want to do two seasons. Uh, I think uh, Tony Gilroy said that there's, there's going to be a time jump between season one and two. And then it's going to lead into the opening of Rogue One after season two. That's the plan anyway. And they're already scoring and writing, or they've already, they've already written the second season and they're working on the music for it. When there I mean, is action, like uh, I guess the, in terms of the first half of the season for before prison, the eye episode is the one uh, with like that celestial event and the heist. That was great. I thought that was awesome. There's a, a mild action sequence uh, in the initial deal with this, is it the star map or uh, that tracker. I, I don't know what it's actually called, um, but I thought that was decent. But uh, when it does like hit the, I understand it's a TV show that they are kind of stretching out and the budgets can allow for, you know, action, 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 every episode. When it does go there, I think it is great. And as Nuno said, like the visualizations are fantastic. During the eye episode, the TIE fighter stuff was awesome. Um, the actual event of the eye that looked fantastic. And in particular, the shot where, um, the, 
they're entering the TIE fighters and that event is happening in the background. I thought that was amazing. And uh, it was just stuff like that was just way too far and few, few and far between for me. See, I, I think when you guys are talking about uh, this being a heist film or a spy film or, you know, whatever, I think the important distinction for me anyways is that it feels more like a resistance film, you know, which kind of matches well with Rogue One. It feels something closer to Army of Shadows or, you know, World War II resistance fighters trying to build this underground uh collection of people making moves to make some larger political um, moves on top of that. So in that regard, I, I felt it kind of worked. Um, I, I don't disagree that the first few episodes, I think it was more that like maybe on a rewatch, it would work better because I didn't quite know where it was going or what the, what it was exactly. But um I felt that all of the stuff that gave that feeling of, you know, where the original Star Wars is dealing with some stuff that's relevant to the Vietnam War or like making uh, uh, allusions to Nazis and and World War Two in in the costuming. And I feel like this felt like a logical kind of lead up to that. Yeah, I mean, that's where I like this Stellan Skarsgård character as well, is that he he has a bit of mystery about him, but like he's he's pulling in all these people that like he kind of doesn't really know or like he has to keep some distance between him and you can't just be talking about this stuff out in the open. Uh, and that's, you know, like I, I really like that idea of like when when Andor gets to the the, you know, where they're planning the heist and there's all these people there and they're all suspicious of him because they don't know him. He doesn't know them. Like, what is everybody's motivation? Like, why are people involved in this? Like, you know, it's not, they're not just all good guys. Like some of them are sketchy people and <laughs> that's the nature of it. And uh, that's where, like, I think the the element of danger and suspense comes from in this show. Well, I, th- I think that's uh, kind of what um, makes like uh, the Empire um, kind of like uh, um, a, a very cool antagonist, because on the opposite side, it's not just people who are fighting for freedom, but it's it's other uh, criminals and, and other you know gangsters who've kind of been pushed aside from doing what they're doing as the Empire kind of takes control of 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 everything and so they're, they're kind of pushed out of their own businesses so that's why you get characters like some of these uh, scoundrel type guys who are part of the high story character like Han Solo who's into smuggling and stuff like that who is against the Empire because they're kind of impeding on the ways that they're either making money or they're, they're living their lives and that's, that's how these ragtag groups of people all end up uh, getting together um, yeah like the other interesting thing that i thought about uh uh stellan starsgar's character of uh of luthan is how um he's very he's very manipulative and uh so like he he has the ear of you know uh, someone very powerful in the senate like mon mothma and uh you know he has um people on the inside in the empire who are sympathetic to what the the rebels are doing and he has uh other people uh inside the empire who are kind of only doing what they're doing um because you know their their family's being threatened by by Luthen. So he has these these kind of 
different levels of what he's trying to get done and he doesn't particularly care of of who is uh you know who way he's getting into uh because he wants to you know take the empire down and that's again it's it's kind of a, a different uh um person who's part of like the rubble alliance that we're really used to seeing throughout all of these uh movies and shows that we've seen over the last uh you know 50 years or so of of, of star wars characters almost um but that's why i thought that uh his character was uh, was a little bit more interesting than uh, some of the other rebel people we've met along the way um yeah so uh, we, we mentioned the the heist a little bit um so the idea behind this is the uh this uh this group of people that Luthen has got together to uh, essentially rob a bank uh, on a planet of 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 all their credits and they have a um they have somebody on the inside getting them down and then we get this this uh scene of them kind of breaking into this vault and and kind of uh taking hostage of some of the guards are there and, and the time is ticking of them from loading all the credits onto the ship as as the empire realized what to do and they're coming uh in there then we get this really intense uh battle um which is kind of one of the major uh set pieces of the show um so nuno why don't you talk to me about uh the the heist was this uh like a highlight for you it was i mean the the lead-up was what did it kind of take like three episodes for it to kind of pan out? Like he first arrives. Yeah, like the 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 heist kind of starts uh, in episode six, which is it coincides. Frank, you mentioned uh, the Eye, which is this celestial event that these people on the planet um, kind of gather to witness, and they kind of use that as a distraction uh, uh, to get inside uh, of the of the vault. Technically, yeah, yeah. So um, I uh, I didn't mind this ragtag group of. Uh, people they got together uh i kind of liked seeing um how the guy who actually is part of the empire was like you know he would kind of training them on how to step and how to hold your gun uh in formation and little things like that uh i liked the the setting like i think it was filmed in the, in the scottish highlands and uh we, we saw our first we got our first look at scottish or sorry not scottish like star wars goats which are just goats with like way more horns kind of coat rack <laughs> thing going on um i love yeah i love the tie fighter stuff when they were on patrols um and then everything leading up to it i was kind of into the heist itself i think i liked that things went bad when they had to you know they lost people they they killed some of their hostages. I think like they had that one dude whose poor family was just there for some reason at work. <laughs> like they just introduced this dude and then uh, who works for the empire and he, like, he, he gets killed. Like it's, it was kind of like confusing to see like, you know, who got shot and survived, who got killed. Um, it was probably not the best. Um, planned heist because i noticed that they were like hand bombing like billions and billions of dollars worth of credits like i thought there'd be like you know little anti-gravity lifts so they could just tow things around so yeah it, it got a bit messy which is kind of like what i found a lot with the storylines in andor is that um it would build up to something and then it would kind of veer off to what you wouldn't expect Kind of like, you know, like, like, like Star Wars movies that are kind of simple and like, you know, I think Mandalorian works in this way too, where 
it's satisfying because heroes actually are competent and get away with what they want to do. You kind of, you're behind them. There's, you've got this, you know, this fantasy fulfillment. I think Tony Gilroy's uh, gritty realism kind of does this thing where, well, I'm going to, I'm going to show you that life is unpredictable and I'm, we're going to have people, you know, not succeed in what they do, but it kind of drags out and you're like, okay, yeah, true. This, this could happen in reality, but does it make for good television? Well, I agree with the dragging out part and I, I like the setup, the models, getting an idea of like where the dam is and uh, the, I don't know if it's a temple or what they call the, the, the spot uh, where the, they observe the event. And the problem with the dragging out is that I personally didn't feel any suspense building. It's taking a while and it just feels like the actual event is taking a while. I, I, I didn't feel any suspense and everything goes wrong in a moment. It wasn't a series of things going wrong where you, you feel this building of suspense. It kind of reminded me of hateful eight in a way, like something that should have been extremely suspenseful that just is kind of fallen flat for me. But I love the design and execution, like the way the, the credits look on those rolls stacked in the, uh, in the safes and, all the production design elements of the heist I loved, I, I just didn't find it that exciting until we get, uh, you know, the TIE fighter and the escape when they're leaving in the ship. I thought that stuff was awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely a highlight for me. Uh, not too much else to add, but I just, yeah, really liked the idea of having this, uh, celestial event and celebration as sort of like the cover for the heist itself. And, uh, I, I mean, I think if you're following sort of heist conventions, you're going to have stuff go wrong. I think that's part of it. Um, and I like that there was some people killed, that there's some people who showed their true colors, like, you know, all that kind of stuff to deal with. So, uh, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Frank, um, I, I mean, uh, is, isn't star a lot of star Wars about things going wrong? I mean, they're in, Return of the Jedi, the whole opening of this plan to uh, free Han Solo seems to continually get worse and worse and worse. With And and if anything, the thing that undercuts the suspense there is this idea that Luke comes in and kind of, because he's a Jedi, knew it would work itself out all along, or the, the sense that he's not concerned about what's going on, but everything around that plan is just falling apart. Um, I, I, I feel like that seems appropriate with star Wars, but with that bigger question of is this star Wars, what is star Wars? I mean, if it's just the first three movies, that's like now the smallest sort of chunk of what star Wars is. And then you can start breaking it down by generation and, whose star wars is whose and i mean it's just so far removed from the original films now that i think it's it's lost some you know some of that special power that the originals had but it's it's needing to replace it with other things and it's it's hit or miss for sure but i guess i'd rather see uh even though i enjoyed mandalorian and book of boba fett more than this um, the, the, I thought it was a good kind of swing 
with this series. Yeah, I on that point, I totally agree. Uh, I'd rather, even when they proposed Rogue One, we thought it was going to divert more from Star Wars. And, oh, this is going to be a genre picture within the Star Wars universe. Do something different. And I actually think uh, this show commits more to that idea than Rogue One did. And I appreciate that. I just didn't find it all that entertaining. But I, I guess I also disagree with this sentiment to, or like the, I like that things go wrong. I have no problem with that in the heist. I I, I thought you kind of need that. I just don't know if the things that went wrong were all that interesting or they're how they recover from them. It, it felt like very reactionary and just kind of a, a shootout rather than a clever way of like, oh, how are we going to get like when you think of oceans movies or heist movies when things go wrong there's like clever ways or interesting ways they react to the situation going wrong i don't remember anything interesting about that at all other than oh, we're gonna shoot stuff now frank um as the uh as the expert on uh on on cgi animals thoughts on the star wars goats i thought they were real or were they the I suppose with, they could have been the ones with the four horns. I thought those were real, but I don't know. Oh. There are some other creatures that I, I didn't mention the opening shot. I hate to do this again, but I thought I was going to love this show when they introduced <laughs> uh, when they introduced the droid, like the first shot. Do, do you not when you like when you have that feeling? kind of gross yourself out at how predictable you've become <laughs> thinking that all i'm saying is the fir- the opening of the show was fantastic the 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 droid going through the streets the the score and those creatures those little dog alien creatures coming up beside the droid i was like this is awesome this feels like uh a new take on star wars but it feels like star wars and i mean i guess i'll start to go there now i think Part of it is it's just too human focused. There's no yep. droids. There's no uh, other races, really, other or species other than humans. And I find it really boring. Like that's part of the appeal of Star Wars. And it, it, it is barely a Star Wars show in that regard. Like the whole resistance is made up of humans, basically. When you think of the, the table at the end of, um, Star Wars with Admiral Akbar and all like there's lots of different types of species and creatures there. And this has none of that. I assume it's uh budgetary reasons possibly, or I think it might be like a designed element uh to have like this core humanity within the show, but I don't find that all that interesting. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it was, well, it couldn't have, it couldn't have been a budget thing. I think honestly, this show and the creator, they take it, they take it so seriously that I think, they wouldn't want, you know, some character in heavy prosthetics ruining their totally gritty, grounded show with like some dumb aliens. Cause like the aliens that you do see in this are in the background. There's hardly any speaking roles. I think you see one of the two tubes, uh, with Saw Gerrera. It's a character that was introduced in, um, in Rogue One. Really cool looking alien. It kind of looks like a, a Cenobite with like cool tubes coming out of his face. But um, yeah, I thought it was, I actually read an article about this too. And like, or people were kind of saying, Oh, um, this feels so much better and more grounded because there aren't any aliens. And I'm thinking if you're going to do star Wars, yeah, do different genres and stuff. But the reality is it's not just a bunch of humans who are part of the resistance. 
I see that right. as an opportunity to but, present but, an alien as a, like a, a or a uh, a puppet character as like yeah. a real dimensional character. There wasn't, a, there wasn't a single alien in the prison, right? Yeah. This is like a That's prison weird. with like you know thousands and thousands of thousands of prisoners, and there's not a single alien there. Yeah, like it's kind of like they're like embarrassed that they're doing Star Wars, and they're like, okay, I'll do Star Wars. <laughs> But I'm not going to have any stupid aliens in it. I mean, Tony Gilroy. Uh, I, disag- has been- I disagree there. I mean, there, there's story reasons why there's no aliens. I mean, it, comparing it to Return of the Jedi, this is after this Rebel Alliance has grown and become a collective coming together of various planets and races to fight against the Empire. And this is in early days before they're even working alongside Admiral Akbar. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I mean, it, I, I mean, it makes sense story wise, doesn't it? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I, 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 I don't know. It's, I think that's yeah. possible. I, I just, I, it, honestly, it didn't really even cross my mind that much. But I believe Tony Gilroy has said in interviews he's not really a Star Wars fan. So I think you might be onto something there with him just not wanting to deal with some of the more fantastical elements of star Wars, I guess Look at the prequels, look but, at the, but is that, what's wrong with that? Set? What's wrong with people directing something that aren't hardcore fans? Nothing. I mean, they, they, there's nothing. No. They, they, they look at Nicholas Meyer with star Trek. He completely shaped the look and feel of those films for the better. And I, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, this is working on, on that same level, but I don't know. I, I I don't think it. Either way, fan or or not a fan, the Star Wars fandom is so gross and <laughs> you know uh, unforgiving <laughs> that you're going to be fucked either way. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that. The thing is, we just watched Episode One and look at the Senate. It's it's all different planets and species. That's like even uh like yeah. Know, and what about the one? alien character in the that film that george lucas decided let's have a full you know uh humanoid alien character play along with us and everyone hated it yeah but people love chewbacca i'm not saying people or even droids i would have taken more droids involved somehow it's it's not that it just one of the it, main one of the characters is a droid that character is barely in it b2 emo people love that droid I like the look of the droid. I don't love the character per se. And uh, I, I still wish there was more droids and invo- involvement. I, I, you could make a case that droids could add a level of compromise to a covert operation. Uh, I think that maybe there's a throwaway line about lying, requiring more power for uh, B2 that maybe is there for that reason. But I don't think you can make a case for non-humans not being part of the resistance, especially when, Every prequel movie, I think, even has more features, more elements of non-humans and humans interacting. I mean, this kind of brings me to like a point about one of the best things about Andor, I think, which is that it's not pandering to fans. Like, you know, say what you want about it. It doesn't work for everyone. It may not be what everyone's idea of Star Wars is, but I think that's what you get when you get somebody behind it that really isn't a huge Star Wars fan just kind of doing their own thing. He doesn't care about creating Easter eggs and references to a million other bits of Star Wars history. And it kind of is just its own thing. Andor doesn't pay Andor. 
<laughs> Zing. Well, maybe the uh, the you know the the planet that uh, most of the series takes place on. Of I think it's called Ferex. You know, it's just regular humanoids. They're all no racists. Aliens. They're just they're just xenophobic. <laughs> That's Ferex the the where we where the last event takes place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's world building elements of Ferrix that I absolutely love. The idea of the brick uh, that we get to at the end, and like that whole ritual, and the hammer and the anvil bell or whatever, and how they spread uh, alarms throughout the city. Like again, production design and world building elements are fantastic in this show. It's just like the heart of the writing. I don't find all that exciting or interesting. Fair enough. Um. So we, uh, um, the episode seven is kind of like a, a transition episode between the, uh, the heist and, and kind of the, um, like the, the, the go home run of, of episodes, um, where, uh, Cassie and Andor, uh, returns back to, uh, the planet of, uh, Ferrix to try to get his, his mom, who we haven't talked about yet, uh, Marva with a couple of A's in there. Um, and, uh, and, uh, he tries to get her to leave the planet and come with him because he's got a lot of money, but she doesn't want to go. She wants to uh, stay on the planet um, uh, because she thinks that she can do more for uh, the rebels there. Um, so Cassian kind of takes off and then uh, he's uh, he's going under the name Keith Gergo on another planet and kind of living the it's high life with his, it it's a great name. Uh <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, with all of his credits and all that, that he, that he has, but then he gets, uh, unjustly arrested and, uh, uh, captured by, uh, a K2SO droid who, uh, we see is one of the, the, the hero characters in, I think it's Rogue One or is it Solo? Rogue One. Is it Rogue, Rogue One? One? Yeah. It's the same Rogue one. It's the same one. Like there's a market. Well, it's the same. It's model. the same, it's the same uh, model, right? Okay. Yeah. Same model. Um, but uh and so he gets thrown in prison for six years um and so then this is when uh we kind of get introduced to uh the prison and we get um uh what's his face his characters uh andy circus andy character yeah andy circus character who who's pretty awesome in this series i agree um and uh like the the prison um is is probably one of my favorite things um like i love uh how uh like, like organized it is and how you know um um the rules that everybody has to follow and uh it's like a competition to get the work done it's like this uh again more um the empire being manipulative and and putting these prisoners against each other because you know the 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 most productive team gets bonuses of flavor for their food and the least productive team gets, gets shocked on the floor the way this prison is, is built. Um, and, uh, and everybody's using these, uh, these tools to build these items. Now I'm right away. I kind of, I, I, I guessed what these, uh, items were being built for. Did you guys stick around for the bonus scene at the end of episode 12? I yep. did, but I didn't realize it tied to the prison until now. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, Sean and Jay, did you see that? I didn't. I'm trying no. to remember. I don't think so. At the end of uh, episode twelve, they 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 show a, a close up of these like spider droids moving those uh, basically the things that they were assembling, like those star shaped 
big metal pieces and and as it zooms out uh, the pieces are uh for the the cannon for the death star Mm, it zooms out and it shows the death star being built by these droids using a lot of those pieces i kind of figured that that's what they were building in the prison at the time um that, uh, and the very end of episode 12, like that stinger was awesome as well. That was a great stinger. It was really good. And uh, I love the design of the prison. Like when he's pointing out the the cell, the fact that there's no bars on the prison, it's like this sterile, uh, like white environment and the, the floor, everything about the prison is fantastic. And that whole sequence, I kind of thought the, the, if this was a shorter show, I think it could have been like a shorter arc I would frame it through the prison, like start the show in the prison and flash back to how he got there, I think is, is a more interesting narrative structure because that, that to me is the best idea in the show and would have served as a better base for the story. And when, yeah, when it send, comes to prison, I send right? Tony Gilroy, your notes, Frank, <laughs> I, I do think there is a problem with the show of making it too long. There's a sequence in episode seven where the, uh, the empire team, is debating what to do uh, with uh, I can't remember her name again. And the, the lead count the, in that room where they always confer about strategy and it goes on for five minutes and it is so boring. Like I, I I'm just like, can we move? Th- we know they're going to go after someone at some point. Can we move this plot along? This show is stretched out to the max. I, I don't you know, disagree as, that like the 12 episodes is a little weird considering so many other Disney plus shows are like eight episodes. Now I don't know why this one had to be 12, but I mean, it does go to a lot of different places. I think it's setting up to be their prestige show, which is weird to me that it, the plan is only for two seasons. As far as uh prisons go, um, forget about the fact that you're, you're there until you die and you're, you know, you're, you're never going to get out. Um, like it's very clean, right? Um, you get as much food and water as you want. It's unlimited. Like the, it's, it's 12 hours on 12 hours off shift. It's not a bad thing for a prison. You can store your plate and your spoon in the wall. It's amazing. That, I mean, it's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. All your food and drink is in a tube and you just pull the tube out, put it to your mouth and there you go. <laughs> they described the washroom. I kind of wanted to see how it worked. I wanted to see well, well, that that's one hit. thing I, with like talking about Nicholas Meyer and what he did with Star Trek in those films where suddenly you're seeing like the the you're seeing people cooking in Star Trek uh, with this. The idea of even referring to bathrooms that people shit and piss and, and puke and uh, <laughs> ejaculate and menstruate and so on and so forth <laughs> in the, the Star Wars universe is a breakthrough. And. Uh, you know, all of the scenes where like even the idea of watching TV in in this universe, I mean, maybe it's a little too grounding for, for some, but I think I, I, I kind of appreciated it maybe because I, I'm able to kind of like just plug it in, like keep it within the boundaries of this series. Maybe if a TV or a, a shitter popped up in you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back, it might be weird, but I, I kind of like the shitter in this. I like it too. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the one thing about Star Wars is that we've had so many films and uh, TV episodes and we've never really seen people shit. So, yeah. 
It's, 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 uh, the, it's the, new. The cell, the prison cell, kind of reminded me of Frank's sit-down shower a little bit, didn't it? A little bit? <laughs> One small note. You should build in a, a plate and spoon into your shower. that you can eat from and all this stuff. I, I should turn my shower into the prison cell for man. That's, that's yeah. a good idea. Uh I like it a lot, but uh, <laughs> the one production design fail is the first time they established the count of shifts remaining on the computer. And, like it was clearly intended to be, there's a number it, time passes on the show and the number changes and the numbers are so illegible. You can tell after the fact they added 30 shifts later that people like we, people don't know that that number is changing. It barely looks like it changed at all. The, that was a post ad for sure. Cause I was like, did the number even change? Like, do I know how much time has actually passed with it? It was pretty poorly done. You couldn't make out those numbers. I don't think a lot of people could or test audiences. Cause they added the, the only time in the show, they do like a 30 shifts later or something like that. <laughs> after that immediately after the number changes. They did say there, I don't know if you saw at the beginning, there was a warning to disengage vivid mode in order to see certain numbers within the show. Uh, maybe you missed that. Criticism. <laughs> I wasn't on vivid mode, I don't think, to be honest. Oh. Maybe, Why maybe would you I be? Was. Maybe I was. Or you I, you I were. All right. Maybe Sounds it's just right. my Blu-ray player, my 4K <laughs> player is not in vivid mode. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, cool. Go ahead, uh, Sean. No, I was just going to say the prison stuff, like I, I really liked it. It's probably my favorite stuff in the movie or in the show, but it reminded me of Frank. Like you had this complaint about Obi-Wan, how he was working in this place where they just left meat out in the open and yeah. it just seemed like nothing in the world was thought out. And I thought like this prison, everything is thought out. Like, and it's so interesting and like just adding to the, the, the world building and stuff was great. I hate to say it. The prison is the most interesting character in the show. <laughs> Even the idea of having a prison cells that give the the feeling of being able to leave and the feeling of openness and then having the floor electrified feels like psychologically an interesting yep. way to uh, run a prison. Yeah. And just having them all compete against each other feels like very uh cruel but clever like uh, it's very interesting the prison section is phenomenal yeah, <laughs> it, it saves the show and uh and the, the last episode saves the show to some degree as well but it just it kind of points out to me there at the heart of this there could have been an amazing version of this season and it, it just wavers too much and it's it's not focused so while uh, uh, Cassian is in, in this prison and uh, uh, he's there for six years and he meets his second group of ragtag people that he becomes friends with and and they're um, kind of going about their, their daily business and he's trying to win over um, uh, Andy Serkis's character and try to get as much information because uh, you kind of get the idea that he's working on an escape plan as he's, uh, you know, making eye contact with other people, uh, on the shift floor. And, but, uh, away from that, we've got, uh, um, 
the character of Bix, who we haven't really talked about her. She's kind of like a, a girl from the planet Ferrix that might, may or may not have had a relationship with Andor at one point. And she's been captured by, uh, by the, the, the pouty, um, uh, Empire Lady, uh, Debo, not Debo, Deba, Deba, Deja Mira, Deja, thank you. Debo, Debo, Debo Samuels, yeah, from, but, uh, so and so she's being uh uh tortured and, and we we've seen torture devices before uh with the empire when when leia was tortured by like that giant needle in that uh, the floating droid thing but this was uh a different kind of and and a creative uh way of torture so basically they had recordings of the empire slaughtering these beings of a planet and they recorded the 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 moans and screams of all the women and children and put that and played it over and over and had these people listen to these women and children being slaughtered and murdered and and they were forced to listen to that over and over again as they were breaking down and 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 losing their minds what did you guys think about that kind of a, a torture technique as someone who falls asleep with youtube playing all night i thought it was a really uh interesting and inventive torture technique and it, it kind of does some world building as well because it's also there i can't remember the exact uh wording but something about the screams of that particular race is particularly unsettling um but yeah i i liked i like that idea frank you love torture yeah, uh, I, I guess it didn't register that much with me, I guess. Yeah, uh, it does. So <laughs> having you guys talk about it is more interesting than I remember it being in the show. So that's probably on me. I have to admit that. Um, another thing that's kind of going on at the same time, again, this is a, a third kind of or fourth or even maybe even fifth plot line is what Mon Mothma is doing. Is she's starting to gather money for the rebels and trying to... Uh, gather as much as she can without people kind of realizing what she's doing like the empire and government and whatever and uh she gets to uh, an, a, a a weird side plot uh where she kind of meets up with a, with a gangster and in exchange for uh money from this gangster essentially like promises her daughter to his son which was very strange and unusual and i'm really sure why that was even in there but i thought that was super bizarre i mean it's not like i mean it's not that bizarre it's just like she's having to compromise herself like everywhere she can in order to raise this money and it's just a question of like how far is she willing to go and how much is she willing to sacrifice in her own life for the greater good uh, well, I, I don't. I don't think. I mean, uh, I don't think that is bizarre. I like. I. I would have no problem selling my own children. I, don't care. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think it's just a. a it's a, a weird extra bit of plot in this series. That's all. Yeah, I, guess I, I, I thought like it was in the sense that Mon Mothma got a bit of uh, some dimension to that character, where right. Uh, Mon Motha was the, probably the third most interesting character to me in terms of what they have to go through or decisions they have to make. Uh, I'm kind of surprised Cassian Andor doesn't like. He, I, I don't feel like there's a, much of a change in that character. I like the the character, but it's that character's pretty one note. Sorry, no, no. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I was gonna say. Um, I also liked Mon Mothma. I like that she kind of linked 
um, different characters in a way. Like she interacts with Luthen Rail, and she also interacts with uh, the woman who uh, led the heist, who happens to be Mon Mothma's no. uh, cousin, right? Val, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know it's weird the uh, the whole like betrothing her fourteen year old daughter thing like that. We see, I think, in episode twelve that she goes through with it. Yes, but when yeah. but when she, but when she first meets the gangster, like halfway into the series or whatever, um, I could swear they're saying, "How can we pay you?" Like, okay, you, you're gonna you're gonna finance us, but it's almost like they're saying, "We're gonna pay you." For giving us money and then he's like oh i don't want payment uh i hear you have a 14 year old daughter and then <laughs> yes and i i have a 14 year old son whatever it is um i thought that was strange Online, because- he calls himself because <laughs> 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 yeah 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 it, it, it definitely sounded creepy it was weird when we brought the pizza and mike's hard lemonade for sure <laughs> But the weird thing is, too, didn't they just get into a, like this crazy windfall? Like that heist was like the the quarterly salary of an entire like sector of the empire, right? Like that it's a lot was, of money. It's a yeah, lot of money. Where, they, where, where did it all go? I'm trying to remember how they addressed that. Like I feel like it just kind of went really fast, and and he was just like, "We need more money." Like this. This costs a lot of money to. I thought. I thought the Mon Mothma thing was more. There was earlier decisions she made with to fund that operation that now she had to cover up with other money, and that's why she needed. Oh yeah, that's, that's right. She was compromised by. Yeah, I think you're right. Character. So it, it that it didn't have. It had to do with the setup of that event and dealing with the consequences. Not. I. I think she didn't know about it. She she didn't know about the heist until after it happened because she seemed pretty pissed about it. Because she knew that the Empire would just take it out on everyone and make things worse, which they did, right? They just arbitrarily were arresting people and, you know, giving them, you know, crazy sentences. And I think there were other little little punishments that they were enforcing on uh, on the galaxy. Yeah, but there was something about, like, her accounts got frozen or something like that, wasn't there? Like, I don't remember exactly, but... She was somehow affected by that, I thought. I think they they had to use pretty much all of that money to buy all of the fancy artifacts to keep that storefront <laughs> happening. <laughs> it's an expensive place to run. I, I was, mean, I, yeah. I do feel like there there are, again, lots of elements that seem to mirror you know, times of war and the rise of fascism and, you know, combating that and the ways in which you have to um, test your own ethics and morals in order to, like Sean said, think about the greater good. And if there was a, I guess it just feels like a different sort of evil in this series than the other ones, the other, the other, you know, the original trilogy and, and, the some of the other Disney Plus series, evil is is kind of like uh, presented in in this sort of traditional, you know, uh, almost fairy tale style where it's one or two people representing the evil of an entire empire. Whereas here, it feels like a more 
um, political evil that is managing to um, not just take over, but drive otherwise good people to have to make decisions they wouldn't make in any other time than times of war. I agree with Jay. And again, to compare it to Game of Thrones, because it's so politically focused, the the really the only thing that made the first few seasons, like the politics of Game of Thrones interesting was the dialogue and the writing. Like it was succinct and there was like one-liners and like it was very clever writing and this show lacks that to make the politics interesting. It's like in every, you have to infer and tr- draw out what's interesting about these situations. The writing does not tell you as the viewer, or at least in my mind, like make the politics of the show interesting. I think it's all in their heads. It, it, it does not transfer uh, off the show to the viewer. Why these politics yeah. are, are interesting at all. Yeah. You know what? The, uh, I had a note about the dialogue being so dense and they actually, there are multiple conversations um, about things that happen completely off screen. Uh, I had this note about a character named Kriegor who, yeah. who, who, uh, who Luthen and Sain Sagrera talk about. So he's, he's, he's part of the whole rebel like uh, trafficking of like stolen goods or whatever. So we never see him. I think we see him as like a holographic image. A holograph, that, yeah. Yeah, that the ISB are looking into. So the ISB have multiple conversations about him. Uh, Luthen has conversations with, I think, multiple people about him. It's all about Krieger, Krieger, Krieger. We never see him. Um, I think in the second last episode or around there, 10, 11, 12, somewhere, uh, Luthen makes the decision that he's going to let him get, um, he, he's going to walk into a trap. And the Empire can have him, you know, you gotta, because he can't let the Empire know that he has someone on the inside who's feeding him information. So he, he's the sacrificial lamb. It's so strange. And then in the final episode, I just rewatched it last night. The ISB people are all hanging around and then they're all like, Krieger, Krieger, something happened with Krieger. Let's all go to the meeting. <laughs> and they all go there and it's all fucking Krieger this, Krieger that. And they're like, Krieger's dead. We killed Krieger. And I'm like, why was there like, there's probably a total of 30 minutes of this entire series talking about someone that we never see. And it's just, it's bizarre. Like who, who would make that decision to like have this intensely dense conversations about stuff that we're never going to see. Or would it surprise you to know that there is a, a, a Krieger prequel in development? Thank God. Is it really? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know, I, I'm 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 glad we did get a little bit of Mon Mothma in this series because the one thing that you know, like the the really hardcore Star Wars fans really loved about uh, the things that came after Return of the Jedi was all the stuff about banking and Parliament. It was the most exciting stuff in in any sci-fi fantasy series, especially um, the kids. The kids love that shit. The kids love that stuff. So uh, let's get back to uh, the prison. Um, so uh, one of the characters uh, that uh, um, Andor kind of gets to know, part of his team uh, falls falls ill, and uh, through that they learn from the the prison doctor uh, that uh, um, nobody ever actually gets uh, out of there. There was an incident where someone was released and ended up back on a different level of the prison. And uh, 
when the other prisoners realized that they actually executed the entire level to to cover it up so this this massive prison was seven levels and there's so many different uh uh compartments in that and so that then that rumor started to spread around and that finally brought Andy Serkis's character uh, onto Andor's side. And he started giving them information and they kind of created a way to make the escape. And and that's episode 10, which is titled one way out, which is probably the best episode of the series. uh, I think ahead of the last episode, but I think it was my, my favorite episode anyway, of the, of the prison escape and, and all the steps that they used to, to, uh, to get out and how they kind of um, really rallied 5,000 prisoners compared to, I guess it was a couple of hundred guards, maybe on top of that in order to, to escape. And then we, we, we finally uh, like they're, they're on their way out and they, they break through the doors only to find out that they're kind of just in the middle of this massive body of water. And uh, uh, Andy Serkis's character tells him that he can't swim and he's kind of stuck there and everybody just kind of dies off and, and swims for their lives. So, um, you know, talk about the, uh, the, the, the whole prison escape and, and some of the stuff you liked about it. We'll start with Sean. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was just great. Like I said, I think the, it's just a new corner of star Wars. Like, I don't know that we've seen too much in the way of prison stuff before. And obviously there's like a connection to commenting on the current, uh, prison industrial system in the real world. Uh, I, I think, you know, the, the build up to the escape. And obviously we've been talking uh, about Andy Serkis's character, who I think is great in this. Uh, Kino. What is it? Kino is his name. Kino. Kino. Uh, yeah. yeah, he like, you know, he's he starts off as being somebody who's just just wants to get the job done, just wants to kind of get his days out of the way and eventually get out of prison. But when things start to break down and he starts realizing, like, wait, I may never get out of here. And you see that change in him. That is pretty, pretty great. So he's uh, like the only, like I mentioned, the only character that has some kind of conflict and different dimensions to who they are. He He's part of the prisoners at some level, like he, but he, he's like a middle management uh, tool of the prison and is also motivated to. So he has like this shift, like you said, of wanting to escape, but he also has the, the point or exclamation point to the moment with not knowing how to swim. And I guess I, I guess I personally processed him not knowing how to swim as I I think he, I thought he knew that he wouldn't be able to escape. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true. Like when they're looking out the tunnels, I think they can see water. Maybe he had hope that by the time they got to that point, he could make it out. I don't necessarily know that he knew he was surrounded by water, but I felt like that was more of a, a sacrificial moment for for him like he, he at some level he knew he might not be able to escape and he switched his allegiances or um was kind of a a microcosm of people fighting for a greater good rather than themselves within the context of the prison so everything to do with that arc and the heart of the show to me was most effective in that episode episode 10 yeah I mean, it, that represent. I feel like it's representative of a, a chunk of pe- resisting people resisting um, 
breaking rules, rule breakers, uh, until they realize that the game has been fixed and, and not in their favor. And again, feels like a, a kind of callback to World War II with people who were, um, like, uh, Jewish soldiers who were, or Jewish, uh, um, uh, you know, people who are working alongside the Nazis to in positions of limited power within certain concentration camps and, um, you know, maybe would be promised some sort of protection in favor of helping them connect to um, the Jewish population. And it feels like that's a little bit of, uh, a, there's a little feeling of that here. Um but I, I think his turn is and his turn is good because it's not immediate. It's it's yeah. like, okay, I I feel like you're there there's on you're onto something here, but it's almost easier to just hope that you're wrong and we'll just continue out our sentence and be freed eventually. So he resists that truth for a while. And when he finally does, you know, flip sides, it's a pretty good good moment. Yeah, and yeah. every other character is like pure good or pure evil to me. And even along that process, you know, he doesn't he doesn't hate the people that he's in charge of, right? Like he he feels sympathy toward the old guy. I can't remember the old guy's name. It's not just about like like I just want to get out. He's not completely self motivated, but he is kind of self motivated. So th- it, there is some nuance and dimensionality to that character that I don't think almost any other character other than Stellan Skarsgård and Mon Mothma. I, I can't think of another character that really has that in the show. Yeah. A part of his motivation too, I think you hear early on is that he's nearing the end of his sentence. I think he has like less than a hundred days left. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's why he, he wants to hope like Jay was saying, he wants to hope that, you know, it's not true that you don't actually get out. They just put you in rotation and, you know, throw you in another part of the prison. But that that tension between him and Andor isn't just uh, it doesn't just reveal character for Andy Serkis's for Kino. It reveals character for Andor as well, because Andor never kind of gives up on this idea of getting out of that place and and looking for, um, you know, cracks in the system and, and being suspicious of what actually is is going on there. Like so, I, I, I feel like Andor when he's in the prison is at his most sort of, um, and you know, there is an element of self-serving as well, but he, he is his most empathetic towards some of the other people who are in that prison. Yeah. Yeah. I like him in the prison sequence for sure. I, I generally like the character. Uh, I just don't know if they like, they're the through line of the show, but I don't know if they have that much to do. Uh, especially emotionally like can i move forward to like out of the prison which eventually leads to him going back for his mother's funeral and that Um, felt that felt like an opportunity for that character to add dimensionality like the idea that he's looking for his sister and it's revealed in the early episodes that he was pulled away like while investigating that ship like i feel like like that was a be a bigger conflict he's not like that young when that happens and it feels like there's this lingering part of his character that regrets or like leaving 
uh, his family or other people at the beginning of the show. I, f- I kind of wish there was more of a conflict in him towards the mother, like being pulled from where he was born. Like they justify it by, well, the empire is going to come right after we're done this. The, the, this child will die if we don't take them. But the fact that the, the, the character doesn't really have a conflict, like of being pulled away from their home is a little strange to me. Yeah, like he, he should have he should have survivor's guilt and like the whole sister thing I thought was going to be a great story point uh, and then like we all said it it gets dropped almost immediately. Um I it was strange in the flashback. I I liked the flashback a lot. Uh I thought it was strange that he didn't seem torn up about his young sister who he's obviously the guardian of. There's like yeah, I, it's, I the sister was older. I, I I think he does have a bit of survivor's survivor's guilt, and uh, he does care about the sister. But I, I'm weird. It's weird to me that none of that gets projected onto the the mother figure. Like, there's no uh, blame or mild uh, underlying resentment or uh, aggression. Like, not aggr- I don't know what the right word is. Like, just some thought. Like, they kind of pulled me away from where I was supposed to be. He got over it. <laughs> I, I, at some level, yes, I think that's it. But it, it just—I don't know. I, I, I mean, it, there's also a, a, I'm sure a, a appreciation for sure. them having saved him. Like there, I, I don't totally know if I see a a, a sound sort of um, path towards that character holding some sort of grudge against those people. Well, it's certainly not a foregone conclusion. The show says, well, they're going to die, but a person might not know that they might be like, well, you didn't know I was going to die. Maybe I could have helped them. Maybe you assumed one thing that you shouldn't have assumed. That would be a lingering thought with someone. I would think. I I don't know if it would be still lingering. However, many 20 plus years after having been taken, but so there's something there because the show starts with him trying to find something's him. up. Something's up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so oh, we Frank's uh, getting we, pissed. Frank is we, pissed. This guy's furious. Move on. We got to move on. We got to move on. No, I just want to. I just want to take the point a little <laughs> bit, and that I, I understand your points for all of this stuff. I'm saying maybe the script could have been changed, or the circumstances of the original moment changed as an opportunity to create something interesting about that character and how they feel about other people in the world. Again, the character ends up being really one note to me. And I just wish there was more to that character and, uh, and who they are. They don't have a lot of interesting stuff to do. Or like in, a uh, dramatic turn. We, uh, in, in the, uh, the penultimate episode, um, um, Nuno, you mentioned uh, Saw Gerrera a couple of times. Now he, he's a character that was in the Star Wars Clone Wars uh, show. He was a, he was a veteran of the Clone Wars. He was in Star Wars Rebels. He was in Rogue One, and uh, and uh, they kind of bring him back for this for this series. Um, I, I don't I don't know what it is about Forrest Whitaker and, and this character, but every time he was on screen. Um, I, I don't know if Forrest Whitaker is a good actor or not. <laughs> and, and maybe it's just this role. Uh, but it's like every time he was speaking, he was like salivating to like to an insane degree. Like you could see spittle on his mouth the entire time. And it kind of took me out. And um, 
But does this character who they brought back in quite a few different Star Wars vehicles, does he really have um, like uh, a place really in the lore of Star Wars? Is he that beloved of a, of a character like Nuno or like, yeah, what do you I think? think? I, when, when he was first introduced um, from what I remember, he was a, he was like um, your typical kind of like, in, oh wait, is it? Can't remember if it's in Rebels. At some point, he loses. He has a personal loss. He loses his sister because right. of the Empire. So he starts off as like a noble kind of like warrior, just fighting for you know his his planet. Um, you you eventually when you see glimpses of him throughout Clone Wars and then in Rebels, um, he becomes an extremist. He becomes an insurgent who's willing who you know doesn't see things as black and white. He's willing to compromise. He's willing to risk the lives of innocent people. So I think in the, in the whole idea of a rebellion and insurgency that overlies all of um, the uh, Imperial ruled star Wars universe, he's the first character that you see. Who's not really a rebel. The rebels are like, Ooh, this guy is bad for business. He takes things too far. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I like force Whitaker as the role. Um, and it's funny, it's funny that you say he was salivating and, you know, because, uh, when we see him in Rogue One years later, he, he's got a lot of like uh, missing parts. He's mostly robotic. He's actually, he's, he, his, his performance is literally the opposite. It's kind of, he's gasping he's, he has like no moisture in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, so he, he's an incredible actor because he just, he did a switcheroo. He was like, you know me as that gasping, wheezing guy. Now I'm going to just be like spitting everywhere and like, look how no, moist I, my I, mouth is. I agree. I, re- I really liked him in it. And the, uh, the, the younger version of Saw Gerrera, I thought that like actually translated really well. And I think just that character, their costuming and their design is more interesting than most of the characters yeah. in the show. Yeah. I think it was his best performance since uh, Consenting Adults. <laughs> when he played the uh, private investigator, but I, mean, I, I would say it was his, his best performance since Bloodsport. Mm, yes, he was quite good in that as well. Yes. Um, didn't what was the deal with Rogue One where they didn't they reshoot things with him and they changed his performance? Because I, I seem to remember that in the trailers he was very kind of yeah kind of guy, but in the movie it was toned down. Am I misremembering that? I, I don't I don't know. I don't know about that. I I would say I felt like what Greg's talking about. I felt like his performance was maybe more questionable in Rogue One from my memory, but it's been a little while. So. Yeah, people parodied like how he would always his voice was really like dry and how he'd always <laughs> yeah. he'd always ga- he'd always gasp and like get the oxygen kind of mask going. Yeah, I liked him in this compared to to Rogue One. Yeah. So now, um, um, uh, Andor's mother has now uh, passed away, and, and uh, they they start to kind of prepare for her funeral because she was such a big part of of Ferrex. Um, this was another. Uh, this was another one of my favorite parts. Was the whole funeral procession with the musicians and the parade. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frank, you mentioned the the brick earlier, where they they basically take her ashes and turn it into a brick and, and make it part of the city. And then how like the people that have died on this planet are now part of the city 
growing and uh i thought that was a really cool idea and like i love the whole aesthetics of the 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 contrast of the of the this peaceful parade celebrating the life of this this woman and the empire there with their their riot gear on and their riot shields and their snipers and their setup and um all of the storylines kind of come together uh with uh like we get we get cyril khan back and uh we get uh, uh, Val back, and we get uh, uh, Luthen back, and everybody is there uh, to kill Andor for one reason or another, or to capture Andor, and uh, yeah, and we get kind of this uh, this this peaceful funeral uh, crossed with this uh, this massive street war uh, when everything all goes to hell, and uh, we get like this final. Uh, uh, action set piece in in the 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 final episode um frank you know you you mentioned it earlier on so talk about the the funeral i i just like the setup uh the there's some tension there i don't know if i fully understand why everyone is there i don't know why the empire is like in the streets at that point i know that karn thinks that andor is going to be there and it's more about getting andor but i don't know why I think there's an element in this, the speech in the hologram that I'm missing about the empire infiltrating Ferrix, uh, that maybe I don't think is established that well, but I think it's just got, it's got good pacing and build up to like the climax of the show. It, it feels kind of epic and, uh, like a standoffish element that just works. It's a, a very well executed sequence, except for one little thing. When the empire person goes to, uh, throw, a coat on the hologram. Like how hard can it be to put a coat over a hologram? Like they place it half <laughs> on, like it's the worst placement of a jacket in the history of, uh, of media. Like it's anyone t- tell me how you could fail taking a jacket and throwing it over a square droid. It is impossible. And they place it halfway just so that you can see half of the hologram. It would take so much effort to place a coat that meticulously over a hologram. Uh, and I think it actually would be more effective if the image was completely wiped out and it was the words or the voice that carried over the scene. So I thought that was the one like very weak aspect to that climax. I think I think oh. it was a mis- it was a missed opportunity for some droid humor. Like the droid should have been like or like move to the side and like the he he drop the coat and be like oh and pick it up again and then try to drop it and <laughs> he'd keep on moving and then the hologram would just be kind of like doing this little dance around the city. Oh, Dro- Frank would have loved that. Star Wars people love droid humor, right? <laughs> didn't my I didn't miss droid humor. If anything, I could have done without the uh, the stutter on the droid. It, it presented more questions than uh, I, I really wanted to answer. Hmm. Uh, I really liked the last episode. I mean, I like we were talking about that the fact that there's twelve episodes. There was a point, like the end of episode ten with the prison break. It feels like the end of the season because it's such a big episode. And a lot of people, I think, thought it was the finale. And so I was like, oh, man, there's two more episodes. Like, what are they doing? But it actually, like, it's it still ended on a strong note, I thought. And, yeah, I just, I really like Ferrix as a location in general. Like, everybody talks about everything's always on Tatooine in Star Wars. So here's a new planet with new cultural things that they're introducing. and uh, And it's a big battle, but it's not like it still feels low key in some way. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty solid. 
Jake? I thought it was great. I mean, there were, there's, I think there were some moments where you like, these shows are all weird because the production value is so high that you forget it's a TV show. But then every once in a while, there's a moment where it's like, Oh, right. This is a TV show. And there are some limitations to what they're doing. And I think there were a few moments in that, that whole funeral scene that felt a little like that hologram I thought looked a little yeah. out of place um, in terms of like how it was composited in. But um, I, I thought the, the actual sequence was good. And I All also right, am so a big fan of, of the, the brick thing as well. Do um, anybody have any uh, final thoughts on the, on the series? Nuno? Um, I had to rewatch the finale because I was falling asleep during it um, when it originally aired. So I'm glad I went back and rewatched it. Um, yeah, I thought it there was good tension, the build up with the musicians. Um, and I do like how the uh, how I think like knocking over the droid and stopping the hologram was the was the last straw. Like they, it kind of ignited uh, the violence in the streets. I don't disagree um, that I think the show would be better on a rewatch once you know where the, where things are going and have a better sense through the show, who the characters are. There might be more nuance to the script uh, that isn't, you know, that obvious when you're trying to learn about the show or the world. So again, I, I didn't hate the show by any means. I liked it more than Obi-Wan. Uh, and when we get to the top fives, there are things that I loved in the show. It exactly. just, wasn't, it just wasn't the core element and plot of the show that I thought was great. Yeah. It was one of those things where it's like, um, an album with, you know, a handful of solid songs and yeah. the rest of it is a little bit filler, but it also has a place in, in kind of creating a, a pacing of the record to get to those solid songs. So, Yeah. So the the show wraps up with um, um, Andor gets uh, Bix and uh, and the droid and a couple of the other characters onto a ship and they kind of uh, escape uh, the planet during the the, the violence. Um, um, Cyril Khan uh, saves uh, Dedra from being trampled and torn apart by uh, the rioters, and they have a, a, a weird pseudo romantic moment close up to each other which was kind of disgusting <laughs> and and then uh uh andor catches up to luthan uh on his ship and uh and says well i know you came here to kill me so you can either do it now or sign me up to the rebel alliance and that's how the the show kind of ends and and that is uh is andor Okay, I Season just want to one. talk about that cliffhanger or semi-cliffhanger of the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, because maybe I'm missing something completely possible, but that was an indicator of lazy writing on the show or things not working on the show. Because at no point while that scene was taking place did I think this is building up to, is Luthen going to kill Andor? I'm like, that didn't even cross my mind. And they have to like basically say, you're here to kill me? Because I don't think anyone watching it is like, oh, he's going to kill him. Like that is not obvious at all, at least from my perspective watching the show. They they established that uh, that's why 
uh Val and uh uh what was her name? Uh not Simka, but uh um, her, her, her her wife or girlfriend who was Sinta, yeah, Sinta. Who, yeah. Sinta, whatever, yeah. They they were there uh to find Andor to kill him before he could get captured by the Empire. And I think Luthan even says that. Okay. Yeah. Because they, they want to kill him before they can capture him and, and so before he can give out information. That's kind of why they're back there. Fair enough. Then that is on me. I, I'm, I'm not. If, to, if Tony's <laughs> listening to this, he's standing up and applauding right now. That's fine. I said it. Probably on me. <laughs> but I was kind of disengaged because the show was so boring. I mean, there is also that. Like, I've seen people talking about the fact that you know, because this is a prequel to Rogue One, and we kind of know where it's going. I, you know, I guess that's always a. Uh, point of criticism maybe against prequels like you know he's not gonna die so that is you know a factor but i just think there's so many other things going on that i'm never really thinking about where it's gonna end up i don't know that i've ever watched a star wars movie or show and been concerned about anyone dying It, it it feels like any choices made in that regard is usually uh, foreseeable or rooted more in contractual obligations than drama. Do you, do you think Tony Gilroy had a hard time with the script to uh, like with Disney? Because uh, in Rogue One, it's set up as like a like a World War Two film where everyone dies at the end of Rogue One. So, well, yeah. I mean, like a lot of the characters that we meet along the way do die in this uh, in this show. Like uh, half of the people on the heist uh, died, and uh, you know, as far as we know, only a couple people survived the prison escape. Um, so, like a, a lot of the characters that we were introduced to didn't quite make it out of the series. So, um, I guess uh, they were okay with uh, some people getting getting axed on this show so let's uh let's throw out some star ratings uh sean what do you rate this out of five uh i think it's I, I don't, are we doing the ranking of all the shows i think it's a four stars what? for me probably just behind the first season of mandalorian um jay what do you rank it out of five it's a four as well for me frank it's a three no no this could have been easily my favorite Star Wars show if it was a bit shorter. Uh, it's a it's a late three. I will uh, I will give it four stars as well. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's kind of uh, jump into our superlatives here, and we'll we'll start with our our top five uh, moments of the show. Uh, Nuno, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I have uh, oh uh, Luthen's escape. Um, when he's uh, he's in his cool ship and he's being pulled in for uh, by the Empire with the tractor beam, and he kind of shreds the tractor beam dish, and then uh, kind of uh, he uh, deploys these like lightsaber beams and does a roll and takes out the Tie Fighters. Oh yeah, that was, about that. That was pretty, pretty sweet. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like my, um, I'm glad it is. I didn't, I didn't watch trailers for this. Apparently, that's in the trailer. And people were like, oh, what are the lightsabers? I'm hearing this from my son who did see the trailers and who knew it was going to happen. So it was a nice surprise for me. Um, I love the set design. I love this, uh, like the retro futuristic, like dystopian 
like uh, look of Coruscant. Like we get like a ground level look of Coruscant. Um, yeah, I guess if that's not really a moment, but I absolutely loved uh, all the different looks of all different planets, especially Coruscant. Um, yeah, and part of that, the ISB meeting room where you first meet like uh, Dedra. I love the look of that room. It was very cool. Um, the flashback to Canary, uh, Cassian's homeworld. I thought it was just like, a, again, really cool visuals, really cool idea. Not really explored, but still really interesting is how um, all the kids follow um, a crash ship. And at the crash site, there's all this like, plumes of like yellow smoke coming out of a, a ship and the passengers come out and they're kind of like tinted yellow, kind of like some weird radioactive thing. Uh, that was just a really cool visual. Um, I like the world building with them using like metal for their uh, like dart guns or whatever. Like it looked like it was yeah. ste- like steel and like a technology influence on their uh tribe i I thought that i I like that too yeah um i also have uh oh uh andor's brief stint on that awesome like beach planet and the intro to it where it's like you're you're flying over the shores and the music the music is the score is insane in this show it's so un star wars but i absolutely loved it like every time it kind of uh you know, it, it would there'd be sweeping kind of like sad string kind of intense moments mixed in with some like almost like a EDR music, like very synthy. Uh, yeah, we didn't mention it before, but uh, yeah, that the that small portion before he gets arrested, uh, it's got the amazing music, the amazing location, um, those shore troopers who apparently were in Rogue One. They're the uh, they they have these awesome muted armor, which is kind of like beige and uh, and like powder blue and like kind of rusty colors. Um, yeah, that sequence was like ten minutes, and I absolutely loved it. I think I had more than five here. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> sorry, cap, I, I didn't number it. That's the thing. You know what? I was passionate about this show because the things that worked really worked. Were very unique. Felt Star Wars. The rules. Yeah, it, it 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 either whether it felt Star Wars or didn't, it didn't matter. I liked it, but then the stuff I didn't like, unfortunately, you know, outweighed it. Um, how many cool. did you mention that? Yeah, that was <laughs> so five. But I, if it wasn't, the last thing I'll say is the character of Nemec, who's part of the heist. The fact yeah. that he wrote, um, he actually wrote a manifesto, which they actually refer to. Later on in the series, I think in the finale, there's a voiceover when, like, uh, before the shit hits the fan and Luthen, you just kind of see Luthen being contemplative and Andor and Moth uh, and uh, Mon Mothma, and you hear Nemec's um, reasons why uh, occupation and oppression won't work. It's unnatural and how freedom will always win out. Um, I thought it was cool that he actually owns the only, maybe, copy of this perfect rebellion manifesto uh yeah that's probably it all right um i'll go with my top five um i love those uh the the giant warthog 
guard dog type creatures that we saw at the beginning. I thought those were excellent. Um, the uh, the building of the machine parts in the prison because I like I love teamwork. Um, <laughs> I have a uh, Luthen's uh, escape with the the shredding of the tractor beam dish and and the lightsabers coming out and and cutting those uh, tie fighters in half. Um, the uh, the funeral march song with with the the like the the orchestra basically marching down uh, Rick's road it gives me ideas of what I would like for my own funeral. Um, and then uh the my favorite moment would be like the prison escape and just the them going from level to level doing the exact same thing shooting the the guards who are manning the doors and then opening the doors and lowering the elevator and just going level by level by level until all of these men are just charging through the halls all chanting one way out one way out one way out i thought that was a pretty uh epic scene Uh, I can Who's go next. Oh. <laughs> uh, my number five is the score. Uh, it's not um, Gorenson, Nicholas Brittle. I'm it's not Nicholas Brittle. Brittle. I'm not sure what else he's done, but uh, I liked it. I he's thought done, it, he did Moonlight. He worked <laughs> with uh, what's his face on Moonlight. Uh, if Beale Streets Beale could talk or um, uh, barry jenkins some other barry jenkins yeah cool, some other yeah. things um number four jay you were mentioning like the idea of like adding cooking in star trek <laughs> and i don't know if this, yeah i was mentioning that i don't know if yeah. this is the equivalent <laughs> i don't know if this is the equivalent <laughs> but cereal carn eating cereal <laughs> something yeah, about yeah. that just you know, brought Star Wars into the real world for me. He literally um, eats cereal, for, cereal. Yeah, but for yeah. three epi- for three episodes, I think the entire time Andor's in prison, cereal is just in the kitchen eating cereal with his mom. Yeah. Cereal eating cereal. Yeah, I wonder if that's where the name came from. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it seems to me like it's it's definitely an uh, a way to kind of. Um, Shortcut the character. The character. Yeah, like he—he's just this kind of pouty, still kind of childish person, and yeah, I—the I, way that his mother emasculates him, and you know, I, I kind of thought that was all interesting. Uh, number three, uh, Ferrix, the planet. I just liked a lot of the cultural stuff they added, and obviously the funeral at the end. Uh, number two, the heist, and number one, everything to do with the prison. Just great stuff. Okay. Uh, not necessarily in any order, but I, I number five, the Nicholas Brittell score. Um, I'm just confidently going with Brittell. Uh, <laughs> number four. Some of the prop designs, I like that it brought back this idea of using f- real world found objects to create props. There's one, two in particular. One, the guy who's writing the manifesto uses this thing that's like a scanner and it's obviously based on a Polaroid camera. Um, and there's another one where they have a set of sort of binoculars and it, I think it is actually the body of a Bolex uh eight millimeter or 16 millimeter camera that they just turn sideways and and the way that the lenses move on the camera are the same style rotating lens on the bolex 
So I, I like that sort of, you know, idea of still being able to identify like the fact that the, the, the lightsaber came from a flash mount on a camera. It's kind of a nice tradition to hold up. Um, were you wanting to say something? I just, another prop. I liked uh, the comm device where you have to like insert something into something else. It reminded <laughs> me of like how Anakin in Phantom Menace, like he actually reroutes power cables, like a practicality to mm-hmm. the prop design. I really like as well. I'm going to calm uh, <laughs> number three, the jail, everything having to do with the jail. Uh, number two, the architecture of what is the ferrix? Um, the, the brick architecture. So as soon as the brick stuff was there, it was like, Oh, this is a very cool sort of design, like Frank Lloyd Wright inspired brick design that I haven't, seen in star wars and then to add on to that the cultural thing of embedding people's ashes into those bricks that have built their their community i really liked and in contrast to that my number one being the the brutalist architecture that you see in the uh heist uh sequence that is heavily inspired by lots of eastern european brutalist architecture so it feels like the designs of those places reflect the the um, tone of, of those episodes. Frank? Uh, my number five, same as Nuno, the Luthen rail escape and the lasers on the ship fighting the TIE fighters. Uh, number four, the putting the worms or creatures in the champagne. And he's like, she doesn't want hers in her drink. And he's like, I'll take hers. Like just putting weird creatures into drinks. I loved <laughs> Um, number three, tie fighter shit, lots of tie fighter stuff in particular, the eye and them contrasted against the background of the eye. Surprised the eye didn't make anyone's list. The look of the eye, uh, number two, it was my number one, uh, the fishermen and the nets when they catch them after the prison escape, finally, some creatures. Uh, I love those two fishermen and the weird nets that they capture, and or with uh, like that physical weird white uh, net was amazing. And number one, the design of the prison and in particular, the prison cells. All right, let's go to uh, favorite secondary character and we'll start with Sean. Uh, yeah, this, I had a few, but I think I'm going to give a little shout out to Marv. I actually really liked I forget what the actress's name, but I think she's like the the mom in Harry Potter, the annoying aunt or whatever. Uh, she uh, there was actually like the the scene where um, uh, Andor is trying to convince her to leave the planet, and she doesn't want to leave. <laughs> like I actually got kind of emotional. Like I, very rare for. Marva. <laughs> and just for the record, her name is Marva, not Marv. Yeah, but everybody calls her Marv, man. Come on. Uh, yeah, I just thought she was great. And, you know, the thing of her kind of speech at the end, uh, inspiring everyone to rise up was great. You know? Um, I actually liked, I mean, there's a lot of characters I did like. Um, I'm going with, uh, with Deidre. 
because she's she's introduced. <clears throat> I know, Frank. Sorry, <laughs> she's introduced uh, in episode four, but she's the first antagonist really of the series because Cyril is just too kind of like corporate and boring, and she kind of she looks as though well, she and everyone in the ISB they look as though they walked off the set of A New Hope. They're like they're they're British. They're miserable looking. They've got like kind of like gaunt, like sunken in cheeks. They've got like awesome seventies hair. Um, so, and I, I liked that she was a like a brutal villain. And then I liked that there's a moment where she's getting trampled uh, in the uh, during the riot at the end, and she's you know really like you don't see Star Wars villains um, being shaken. Like she's really she's you know she's terrified. She's desperate. I thought that was a, a good moment. Um, so, yeah. She's she's British and miserable, and I liked it. <laughs> I like Frank? her, too. Uh, I can't use the fisherman, I don't think, so Kino, the only... Why can't you use the fisherman? Uh, they're not there enough. I don't think they're a secondary character. Okay. So I'll say Kino. Kino Jay. is mine, as well. Um, I went to way off the board and and frank anybody who's uh who's a character is a character so i, I went with uh the the alien doctor who tried oh, yeah. to save nemec after he was crushed by uh, all the credits during the escape from the heist because he was an alien doctor with four arms and his name was dr Quadpaw. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have the subtitles on you get to find out what his name was and i thought dr Quadpaw was a perfect name for someone who had four arms some good names in this show for sure um not for everybody's favorite one the recasting one um and uh frank let's start with you this time uh i would recast any human with an alien or a droid. <laughs> Any one of them. I don't care. Give me something other than humans. I hate humans. Wow. Nuno? Um, it would be Cyril Karn. Yeah. Um, if they wanted to go with a boring American everyman, I think they could have gone, who's also creepy, they could have gone with uh, Elijah Wood or Colin Hanks. Both very creepy. Jay? Uh, Andor. Let's recast Andor. Oh, wow! With, and this is kind of like a that couldn't actually happen. But I was thinking Michael Jackson, because um, <laughs> Diego Luna played a Michael Jackson impersonator in Harmony Corinne's film Mister Lonely. So let's do a little uh, <clears throat> little swap. I think he'd be cool as Andor. Good work. <laughs> I struggle with this. I was going to do Cyril, Cyril Karn, but I really couldn't think of a good replacement. So I went the other direction. I went with Andy Serkis, who is good, very good in the show, but I would recast him with John Bernthal. Just kick it up a notch. There's no obvious replacement for Karn. Can I guess what Greg's recasting? <laughs> For the show. Well, obviously, if you're going to re- recast Kyle Soller, who played Cyril Card, you need somebody who's sniveling <laughs> and kind of skinny and kind of like a wimpy guy. And I would have to say, uh, Big Bang Theory is Jim Parsons. <laughs> of course. <laughs> that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> 
All right. So let's, uh, now that we've, we've had five different, uh, um, Disney Plus shows. Well, two seasons of The Mandalorian and then three other uh, shows. I thought maybe we'd uh, throw out rankings. I would imagine that anytime I do rankings and like I've looked at like the 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 Marvel Disney Plus shows and I've ranked those before. And every time I do it, it's always in a completely different order because it always changes. But uh, um, let's see how you would rate the Mandalorian season one and two and or Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Book of Boba Fett. Um in order from least favorite to favorite. And we'll start with Nuno. All right. Uh, number five, Obi-Wan. Um, number four, Andor. Number three, Book of Boba Fett. Number two, Mandalorian season two. And number one, Mandalorian season one. All right. Frank? Uh, Obi-Wan, Andor, Mando season two, Book of Boba Fett, and Mando season one. But the two and three are pretty interchangeable. I'm, I can't remember what happens in which season. Um, mine would be uh, uh, Obi Wan number five, uh, Book of Boba Fett number four, Andor number three, Mando season two, and then Mando season one. Sean, Obi Wan, Book of Boba Fett. Mando season two and or Mando season one. And let's, let's give a little shout out to star Wars visions. It's actually pretty good. Okay. (laughs) Um, Mine is exactly the same as Nuno's Uh, number five, Obi-Wan number four and or number three, book of Boba Fett, number two, Mandalorian season two and number one Mandalorian season one. All right. I, I, I think Sorry, I just really right. need to say this. I understand. <laughs> Mandalorian 1, 2, and Book of Boba Fett are are kind of all pretty close to each other for me. I I really like that that run of shows. And uh, Mandalorian Season 3, is is it February it comes out? I think March. March 1st. March? Maybe? Yeah. All right, so not too far away. So that, uh, that's uh, Episode 12. Um, Nuno, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on my website. Um, it's my online portfolio, NunoP or Nunop.com. It has my uh, comic covers and uh, links to all my socials. Nuno, people should check out Nuno's site. He does some amazing uh, comic covers for their variants for different. Uh, is it for different like comic <laughs> d- stores or distributors or? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've 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 done, I mostly do uh, Archie comic variants. They're uh, they're very open at Archie. The editors there kind of let you do whatever you want. Um, I've done some image stuff recently. I did a Batman cover last year, which was like a bucket list kind of thing. Um, and I did an awesome GI Joe uh, cover in my first year of of covers. So thank you, Jay. They which are, uh, yeah. which which GI Joe character did you feature? Was it Dusty? Or lifeline? I got. I I wish. No, I I got to draw. You know, friggin' Snake Eyes fighting Storm Shadow with a little bit All of right. Cobra, a little bit of Cobra Commander in there too. So it wasn't too bad. Mm. Let me know when you get to drawing Big Boa. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> he he was. Uh, he's the boxer, right? Yeah. 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 I remember him. <laughs> he was. He was the because uh, they were going to do a, a Rocky Balboa 
G.I. Joe figure in the same sort of way they did Sergeant Slaughter and okay. the refrigerator. Uh, the fridge. And, yep, yep. Yeah. And they had a prototype and everything. And I can't remember why it fell through, but it did. And they changed the character to Big Boa. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Wow. Little little G.I. Joe history for you guys. <laughs> the Big Boa is like a, a nod to Balboa, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Frank, you're uh you're not online, but uh we've got a a Baldic episode coming up in a couple of weeks for New Year's Eve. Yep. We're gonna talk about uh the Shack documentary series. Yes? No? You don't want to? <laughs> we'll see. Maybe. <laughs> it's four episodes. Oh, and it's you. right up our alley. Okay. All right. We'll get we'll get there. Uh Sean, what's going on with Film Junk? Next episode? It's Avatar, man. Um yeah. AT double dub. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got lots of stuff going on this month. It's always busy at the end of the year, but uh filmjunk.com, patreon.com slash filmjunk, and filmjunk on Twitter. Jay, what about you? What's going on? Oh, not much. Just finishing up this episode of Andor, and I am on uh social media. Uh Twitter is at Jay Cheel and Instagram is J dot w dot chill i think um yeah check it out i mean i'm i'm usually post oh no my instagram is j wesley chill i i post a lot of great stuff there so thanks for listening you can watch mr rogers you can watch three company and you can turn on fame or the newlywed game or the adam's family say you can watch barney miller and you can watch your mtv and you can watch till your eyes fall out of your head that'll be okay with me and you can watch